Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask, where everyone has something they can teach you. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler. In this episode, we are going to explore why we do what we do when it comes to money. As a CPA for the past 30 years, wait, let me say 25 because that makes me sound younger. I have seen it all when it comes to money and emotions. And if you think I'm talking about my clients, I'm not. I'm talking about myself. My relationship with money has been, and sometimes still is, an emotional roller coaster. Maybe that's something you're also familiar with. Good news. You and I are not the only ones. Our next guest is going to share their money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges as well. Buckle your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. Our next guest is Rocky Lalvani. Rocky started with nothing when his parents immigrated to the United States when he was two years old and his parents were in their 40s. It was parents' second time starting over in life as they moved here to experience the American dream. In spite of a lot of struggles and his mom passing away when he was seven, Rocky has been able to achieve financial and life success. Today, Rocky loves to share his journey and inspire others to achieve their dreams even faster by serving as Chief Profitability Advisor for business owners, where he teaches them how to ensure they get paid and make profit a priority. He also hosts two podcasts of his own called The Profit Answer Man, where he helps people become more profitable, and another one called Richer Souls that focuses on how to create the life of your dreams once you've made your money. Rocky, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me here today, Bob. Excited to chat with you. Well, you know, we talked a few months ago on your show, and I really enjoyed getting to connect with you there. And I'm just excited to hear about your journey. One of the things that comes to mind when I read your bio is this part about immigrant parents. I've just been reading this book, Outliers, and it talks about life events and certain things. And in it, it talks about a lot of very successful lawyers in New York whose parents immigrated from Eastern Europe and worked in the garment industry and became very successful. And so a lot of lawyers, you could look and see that their parents were immigrant garment makers. And I'm wondering, how did having immigrant parents lay it out for you? Like make things good, make things bad. You know, I sometimes have a belief that immigrant parents have more appreciation than people that are born here. I don't know how much it's a matter of appreciation. I think it's a matter of when you don't have anything and you have to work hard for it, it kind of gives you that edge. And it also gives you probably a little bit of fear. Like once you're successful, you don't want to go back. right? (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's a bigger part of it. It's that whole drive to succeed. And also, I think no limitations. What separates the immigrants who do real well is they're willing to adapt to their new culture and new country, but they've also got this underlying kind of drive to be successful and knowing that, hey, I've come here for that, and they're going to work hard for it. And the other half of that problem, we always talk about the third generation, right? Because the first generation really struggles, propels the second generation, and then the third generation gets babied. and. It doesn't turn out so well. So 
there is that dichotomy that comes across from that. How do you take care of the third generation? Because I would assume you've got a third generation behind you. And, you know, it's interesting, but I have a client and they're in their fifth generation of a company and they bring in the kids and then they bring in the kids and it's been passed down from grandfather to father to, and I don't see that a lot. No, it, part of that is you have to have an expectation that your kids have to struggle. And that's not what we all want, right? We want our kids to have it easy. A lot of us will say, oh, I don't want them to have to go through the struggles I went through. I can prevent that. But it's going through those struggles that makes them successful. It gives them grit. And that's the conversations we have is when you're wealthy, how do you give your kids grit? How do you put that fire in their belly? In our saying, we have a very simple saying, your parents are rich, you're poor, <laughs> you're going to have to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, we don't make our kids suffer, but at the same point, they are not handed everything. Yeah. They understand that they have to work for things and creating an appreciation for doing the work. Do you find with the people you work for, because I'm sort of jumping back and forth here, I know, but I'm thinking about the people that you advise and work with. And not all of them probably have an immigrant story or it's been many generations. And I'm wondering if there's like this part about making profit a priority and being able to pay yourselves. Do some people come into this unconsciously, maybe with a mindset of, you know, poor me, I'm a little bit of a victim. It just doesn't always work out for me. How do you navigate that? So one of the first questions that I ask all my clients is just basically tell me about how you grew up and how you learned about money. So I want to understand the underlying beliefs that they already have, what they were taught as kids, and what they believe today. Because that'll give me a pretty good idea. I think the bigger problem, and this was my big aha moment, I just assumed business owners understood the business of business, and they don't. Most of them went into business for whatever it is that they loved, they didn't go into business because they were business people. And so for many of them, whatever money baggage they come into the business with, they're going to carry forward. Most people just ignore the numbers. Math is hard, so I'm not going to look at it. And that's, I think, why so many business owners struggle because they don't have a guaranteed paycheck. Yeah, it's interesting. As a CPA, I didn't plan on having my own business. Like that became my business, right? I was just, I'm doing taxes. I have hired many CPAs that had their own business for about six months <laughs> and then got out of it because they're great at doing taxes. They're not great at invoicing. They're not great at saying, hey, you got to pay your bill. They're not great at HR and navigating the staff. That's a whole nother set of problems. It is. Not only that, you have to be good at sales. Right. Hey, you talk about the things people don't like, talking about money, doing sales. Right. <laughs> and yet those are the two biggest things a business owner's got to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember in your aha moments where you had a money belief that maybe came from your parents, you know, fear of losing it again or anything where you all of a sudden said, oh my gosh, we need to let this go. When I was a kid, I decided I wanted to be a millionaire. One of the things that we got being immigrants is that we saw people at different economic levels. 
So even though we came over and we were starting at the bottom, we saw people within the family or relatives who had wealth. And I was like, that looks pretty good. I want to be a millionaire. (laughs) And so what do you do? You read the paper, you read the books. It was a long time ago, so we didn't have the internet and all of this. And I would always read the Wall Street Journal or Money Magazine or something. And invariably, about every six or seven years, it would be the same story. Some guy in his 50s, having the time of his life, worked his way up the corporate ladder, big salary, and then the recession hits, he loses his job, he doesn't make any changes to his lifestyle, and two years later, he's broken, his everything has fallen apart. Right. And I was like, I never want to be that guy at 50 who gets let go and his whole financial life falls apart. You fall off the top of the mountain. Yeah. And so I did everything I could to make sure that never happened. Yeah, I did work for a couple of people and learned the ropes. And I never wanted to be beholden to somebody else deciding whether or not I was going to get a paycheck. I mean, I had a very good working career mm-hmm. and I was an employee and I did really well until I didn't. <laughs> right? Right. But the thing is, because I had built wealth... I was able to walk away and say, okay, I'm out. I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. What do I really want to do? And then I focus on that. But it was a long, drawn-out process. Why do you think people have these? I mean, you know, I have ideas like our parents don't talk about money, but we have so many issues about talking about money. And we have so many blind spots, it seems. And I'm always amazed with some of my entrepreneurs. And I agree with you. I've got to know their story because anything I give them or tell them isn't going to matter if I don't understand their money traumas or their money, you know, money defenses. Is there a common thread that you see with the entrepreneurs and the people you work with? I've asked a lot of people about their money stories. Mm-hmm. And one common theme is it doesn't matter where you start. Right. The second theme is somewhere along the way, they decided to get comfortable with money or to learn how money worked. Now, there's a very small percentage of people that that came naturally to. Right. There's a very small percentage of people where their parents actually taught them money. For most of the rest, at some point, somewhere along the journey, they had a money aha or a money realization, and they started to change the way that they thought about money, and then they went and started learning. And they figured it out for themselves. And that's usually what has led to their success, getting comfortable. And they don't teach money in school. They don't. They just don't. And it's interesting. I think, you know, I was talking earlier about having that aha moment and then having to let it go. I don't believe you always necessarily let things go. Like there are certain things that I can still do and go, oh, there's that again. But at least I can be conscious So when something pops up that says, let's sabotage this, I could smack the crap out of it, but it may not mean that I fully let it go. I can just be more aware of that that's part of my makeup. And I think that's true. I mean, you're always going to have that underlying nagging issue. It's hard to completely change, but once you have awareness, then you can address it and you're going to constantly slide backwards and you know you're sliding backwards and You shake yourself up and you get up and you go back and do it again. 
So how do you deal with, and I did this myself, and I know a lot of people do this. Yeah, I'm going to pay myself first starting in June. Like three months from now, I'm going to start following the rules. There's just a couple things going on today, but I'm going to get on the path like soon. And I'm going to start saving, but I'm waiting. I've got a bonus check coming in a bit, and I'm going to use that. What do you say to those folks? Because I find that a lot. Like, it's, I'm almost ready. So I think the biggest thing is to start with tiny habits. BJ Fogg does a lot of work in this space. And I always tell his joke, do you know what the heaviest weight is at my gym? The front door. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, like nobody can open it. Right. <laughs> so if you think about this, the way to do this is say to somebody, hey, just go to the gym and walk around. I don't want you to do anything. Open the front door and walk around. Yeah. And the next time you walk in, go pick out a piece of equipment and sit on it. And the next time you walk in, just use it, but don't put any weight onto it. Just yeah. do the motion and little by little you get there. So what I tell people is take a baby step. Just save a little bit. Get in the habit of doing it. And then over time, crank up your habits. Yeah. So it's the same thing. Just start, get the motion in place, and then go from there. Now, they say with money, one of the things that does work is, and I don't know that all 401k programs will do this, but if you set a date and you automate the start without you having to do anything else, that's perfectly fine. You'll say, okay, in three months, we'll go ahead, open up the account or set up the automation and then tell it to start on that date and get out of the way. Yeah, I definitely feel like automation is a real helpful way to trick ourselves for the better or to get ourselves out of our own way, whether it's investing in gold, whether it's putting money in a mutual fund or the stock market or putting money in a savings account. Start automatically with small numbers, mm -hmm. baby steps. Baby steps. And some plans will allow you to set an annual increase. And so they're automatically making it happen for you. You set it up and you never have to think about it again. And over time, you will see massive success, 1% at a time. But you keep adding 1%, you do it 20 times, and now you have a 20% savings rate, which is pretty decent. Absolutely. Do you find in your interactions with people any pieces of shame or undeserving? Yeah, so there are a whole bunch of different money scripts. And each of those money scripts kind of shows itself in a different way. So if some people think rich people are evil, well, they're never going to get rich because they don't <laughs> right. want to be evil, right? They don't want to be evil. Some people think you have to work hard to make money. So what are they going to do? They're not going to accept working easily and making money. They want to work hard so that they can make money. Again, another script. There could be a lot of shame with money. I think a lot of it is determined when we are young kids. And if you don't go back and understand that programming in those scripts, then sure, you very well could have shame with money. And you could have shame. And this is what's not talked about. And this is kind of where we started. If you grow up in a wealthy family, and everything's been handed to you, you have shame around money because you don't think you're worthy of anything because you never had to do anything. 
And so there's a lot of guilt on that side, too. So, yeah, it expresses itself in a multitude of ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I always say to people, it doesn't matter how many zeros are after the one. We all have our stories around money. Now, I do want to go back to one piece that I just want to reiterate for people. You don't have to work hard to make money. What? (laughs) You don't have to work 20 hours a day and sweat and not enjoy it. And it has to be painful. This is, this is great information. Say more. (laughs) I think it's a mindset. When you say to yourself, I have to work hard to make money, you're automatically not going to think of easy ways to make money. You're not going to realize that there is even the possibility to make money without a ton of work, or you're going to underprice yourself because you don't think it's worth that much money for somebody to pay you. And so again, it manifests itself in a variety of different ways. But the reality is you don't have to work hard to make money. (laughs) You got to find a great idea or a great way to provide value to people and then go have it. I mean, let's face it. You deal with a lot with the entertainment industry, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, seriously, how do you pay somebody 10 million bucks to be in a movie? Like, (laughs) are they working hard? Like, really? (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of imposter syndrome in the entertainment world where people don't feel like that they should have gotten $10 million. There's a lot of struggles around that. Or being a true artist, you have to be a starving artist. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's a sellout if you're actually getting paid and bringing joy to the world. And I think for artists, that is is one of the things they struggle with. They attach the money to their self-worth. Then they struggle. And if they don't get as much for a painting that, you know, then they feel personally insulted. It That's all about creating a story, right? Right. It's not about working hard on the painting. I mean, let's face it. These days, people are buying eight paintings that are JPEGs for hundreds of thousands of dollars. How yes. hard did that guy work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around all the NFTs and all this stuff that's or art that disappears after you buy it. It's all about the story. Yeah. And if you know how to tell a good story, that's where you make the money. And and that doesn't necessarily have to be hard. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask you this, because one of the things you talk about is it's important to you to go out and inspire others and share your story and give people tools. Why is that important? And why is that important to you? So... (sighs) We're not going to get into politics, are we? <laughs> no, no, no. Let's face it. If you look at America, America has seen better days. Mm-hmm. Everyone is looking to politicians to solve their problem. But here's the thing. When you have money, you're no longer looking to politicians or government to solve your problem. You're looking to government to get out of the way. Right. And that is what's going to make us a stronger country. So I believe that the more wealth people have, the more freedom they have, the more that they don't need to rely on somebody else for their success, the better off we all are. So let's help people to be stronger. And let's do that. Right now, you have you have a pretty decent amount of wealth transfer in that there are a lot of people who have concentrated wealth. Mm-hmm. But the reality of that is we've elected to do that. 
Those people didn't get wealthy because they were greedy or evil. They got wealthy because they provided something of value and we all decided it was valuable. Just as quickly as you can pay $10 million to a movie star or sports star, you can say, you know what? I'm not going to buy their stuff. Right. And in that sense, then you build your wealth and you hold on to your money and then life is a little bit better for you. So for me, it's about allowing people to create their own freedom to make for a stronger country and a stronger world because people who have resources go out and make things happen. Absolutely. In the long run, it makes each one of us more self-empowered to actually be able to control our destiny as opposed to being a victim or floating in the wind, waiting to see where it takes us. So true. And my taxes go down. So (laughs) I am selfish. (laughs) Well, nobody likes, well, maybe some people like to pay taxes. I don't like to pay taxes, but uh, you know, I do when I have to. When you have conversations with your kids, you know, I hear some people say, well, it's so hard to have these conversations with kids right? It's it's a lot of work. Why? Well, because then you might have to admit you made a mistake or you might, yeah, I didn't do it perfectly. Now you're going to point it out because kids love to point things out because they observe. How do you have those conversations and how do you encourage other people to have conversations with their children? I've always been a big believer. You can read all the golf books you want and watch all the golf stars you want. And that's not going to make you a good golfer. Until you hit the ball with your own club, you're not going to learn to play the game. The only way kids are going to learn to play this game is with money in their hands. So you've literally got to give them money and then allow them to start making decisions. Now, put up bumper guards, create the rails. But instead of sitting there and arguing with your kid over a $200 pair of sneakers, go, hey, your yearly clothes budget is $1,000. Figure out how you want to spend it. If you want to spend 200 bucks on the sneakers and figure out how to get everything else for 800 have at it. I don't really care. And by doing that and then starting to have the conversations and let them make mistakes, because that $200 mistake at 13 or 14 is a lot better than a $20,000 mistake at 22 or 24 or at 18, where we're asking these kids to pick a college and they have no idea what the return on the investment is. Right. So I think A, doing that, B, yes, Kids are going to pick out your hypocrisy faster than you can imagine. So we had a problem in our house because my daughter would go shopping with my wife and go, that's $100 for that dress. Isn't that expensive, mommy? (laughs) Worked well for me. (laughs) Not so well for my wife. But because our kids had money and had those types of things, you could start to have conversations. And we would do that, especially when they were teenagers and we would go to dinner. We'd go out somewhere nice. We might spend $300 or $400 on dinner and be like, was it worth it? Did you enjoy it? Was that a wise spending of money? Should we do it differently next time? And it's amazing when you give kids money and it's their money, how much they will change their behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. I love this piece about reflecting back and saying, was it worth the meal? Like post-conversation to actually, how did it go? What was that like, right? Because in business, we sometimes do that, or at least I do, you know, after a tax season, I'll sit with the staff and what did we do right? What did we do wrong? How could we better serve people? And you want to have an assessment. You want to analyze, but having that conversation about the meal 
or spending for a vacation and would we do it again? That's an awesome conversation to have with the kids because who knows? We even did that when they were young and they would see a commercial on TV and I'd be like, you have that toy. Is it that cool? And they'd be like, no. I'm like, see, the only purpose of that commercial is to take your money. Don't ever forget that. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. And kids learn that at six years old. Yeah, (laughs) that is so awesome. I love that. That's great because that is the reality, right? Social media, advertisers. They're really just trying to separate us from our money and distract us because sometimes people say to me, well, you know, everybody else, you know, they have it easier or they have it better. No, we all get the same (laughs) timeframes and we all have the ability to draw a line and say no. And some of those people that have success have learned the ability to have healthy boundaries or to advocate for themselves in the same amount of time that you chose not to. So true. We all have a choice. We all have a choice. I love that. Rocky, we are at our Fast Five, which is brought to you by Cube Money, which is a cash envelope system made easy, real-time financial awareness without the hassle of tracking expenses and carrying cash. For more information, click on the link in the show notes. So Rocky, all right, we're going to just jump into these and let's see where we land. What did your parents teach you about money and what beliefs have you adapted as your own? So they taught me to save. Even when they were here at the beginning of their journey and they weren't making a lot of money, they were still saving. And it was always about the gap. And the other thing they taught me is you can live a rich life on a pauper's budget. And if you actually take the time to realize that, you can have a very nice life without spending a ton of money. Absolutely. Those are great lessons. Do you have any or did you have any anxiety around money growing up? And do you carry that today? I don't know that I've gotten rid of it, but it goes back to that story I taught you, you know? Yeah. Like, we're supposed to go to college, get a job, work hard, and life will be wonderful and you'll retire and you'll be good. But in that time period from when I graduated, all the pensions disappeared. The guaranteed employment at one company for 40 years disappeared. The gold watch is gone. You know, and every time a recession comes along, you get let go or the company hits their own personal recession right? and you let go. And I went through that and I walked away and I started my own business, but I couldn't have done that if I didn't have that fear that always drove me to make sure that I had my foundation (laughs) built. I want to be able to eat in the morning and have a place to go. I hear you. (laughs) I hear you. How do you define success? Time freedom. It's literally about being able to control your time, your day, being able to say yes and no to what you want to say yes and no to. It's not about Maseratis and fancy houses and all of that. It's more about the freedom. Yeah, absolutely. When in your life were you the happiest? Now? (laughs) (laughs) I'm alive and breathing and kicking. I'm alive and breathing and kicking. I'm in great shape. I work out all the time. Life is pretty good right now. I mean, if you're not, you know, everything compounds. So happiness should compound too. If you're not making yourself a little bit happier each day, then what's going on now? Are you going to have pitfalls and things that happen? Sure. We can't control everything, but your overall trajectory should be going in the right direction. I love that. I love compounding happiness. 
And based on compounding interest, let's compound some happiness. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Do you have an embarrassing money moment that you'd be willing to share? I always thought I knew how to invest in stocks. I still don't. (laughs) But I can tell you that I have made so many mistakes in investing with regards to selling. You know, we're supposed to buy low, sell high. The reality is we all buy high and sell low. And I continue to do that. Just this morning, I was looking at a stock I owned. I'm like, oh, my God, that was a horrible decision. It's down 90 percent. I'm like, how did this happen? Yeah. (laughs) But that happens all the time because we don't. Again, I didn't set an automation up for that. I should have put in my sell order as soon as I bought it. I should have had an exit strategy. I didn't. And you forget about it. Then this is what happens. And a lot of this is when the stock market goes down, it triggers the same emotions in us that happen when a tiger leaps out of the forest in front of you. And learning to overcome that is really difficult. And most people just close their eyes and (laughs) walk away, unfortunately. Yeah, it's so hard because even though I talk about money and emotions all the time, I'm looking at my investments right now and I'm trying not to have a heart. I'm not trying not to panic, right? I'm like, ah, and then I know, I know better. So now I try just not looking because it's too stressful. It'll bounce back. Like the stock markets are going up and down because of emotions, not just because of the economy. And if we can remember that, I've had so many clients jump out when everything dropped and then, mm-hmm. then it is definitely a realized loss. You know, it's hard. Correct. Yeah. And I've had a few people who are in the hedge fund business who said to me, when we see a mass exodus of money, we know the markets are about to take off because that means that everyone has thrown in the towel and the blood is in the streets and now we can run. (laughs) Absolutely. If everybody else is exiting, it's not the time to exit. Right. Stay strong. Hard to do. (laughs) It's hard to do. Well, we are at our M&M moment, our sweet spot. Money and motivation. I'm wondering if you have a practical tip or a piece of wealth wisdom you could offer our listeners. We've kind of talked about this, but there is one reason that I'm wealthy. It's because at 21, I automated my savings. And you can easily do it through a 401k plan. And I tell you to have multiple savings plans. So your 401k, go in there and click, even if you start with 1%, do 1% today. And next year when you get a raise and everyone's getting raises now, you get a 5 or 10% raise, put half your raise into your savings and keep doing that over time. Go open a brokerage account and tell them, hey, take 50 bucks a month, $100 a month and invest it for me. And a year from now, double it. Just keep doing that little by little, taking the baby steps of having all your savings automated You'll never miss the money and over time it'll grow. And pretty soon you'll have a very high savings rate and then you'll blink your eyes and be like, wow, I'm wealthy. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so true. I have people put it in the budget as an expense and you just have the money come out. If you have it come out weekly, you're just not going to notice it. I just always tell people, please don't have it linked to your checking account because it is not an overdraft protector. (laughs) It's Mm. a savings account. Oh, yes. Because- You know, some people are like, oh, well, my savings covers it. Well, then that's not your savings. That's your overdraft protector. Like I, for myself, made sure that all my accounts were at 
online banks or different banks other than my main checking account Mm -hmm. so that I couldn't be tempted to just go, oh, the overdraft will cover it. No. No. Separate. Keep it separate. (laughs) Very, very much so. Yeah, but it's amazing how that money can grow and you can do that also for buying gold. You can do it for a lot of different things where you set that up. I go crazy when people tell me that their company matched on the 401k and they didn't take advantage of it. It's free money. (laughs) I like free money. So, I mean, they'll tax it eventually, but well, Rocky, we're coming to the end here. And, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about this conversation and just in general talking with you is you're very grounded. Even in telling the stories about investing, there wasn't like, oh my God, I'm so ashamed of it. It's just a knowing and owning of where you are with things. And even with the ups and downs or the getting fired, there's no like, oh, this was horrible. And this is, they've got to blame everybody. It's just part of the ups and downs. I really, really appreciate this piece about just reminding everybody that you don't have to work hard for money because I think so many people think you do. But that other piece about compounding happiness, for me, the whole point here is to be happy. Like, can we have a little fun and can life be a little enjoyable? Because otherwise, what's the point? For me, what's the point? And if we don't nurture that happiness, if we keep thinking we're going to be happy when we get over there and we're going to be happier when we get the bigger house, we've got to cultivate that happiness and let it compound rather than I'm waiting for my happiness to show up. I was guilty of that one too. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned. (laughs) It's easy to do, but I really appreciate that reminder that we're here to have a good time, be a little bit kinder, be a little more grateful and just show up in the world in a way that can serve other people and inspire other people. And so I just really appreciate your very practical and grounded approach to things. I love baby steps. I'm a big baby step person. I talk about that a lot as well because I think that's how we cultivate habits. And I love now, I will remember that the biggest weight is the gym door because that is so true. That is so true. So thank you so much. Where can people find you online and in social media? So if you're a business owner, we teach all of this for business owners and the podcast is Profit Answer Man. And then regardless of who you are, if you kind of want to figure out the rest of life beyond the money and have good money skills, all of that is at Richer Soul. And either of those places or just Google my name, you'll find me. All right. And it's a pretty distinct name. It's Rocky Lalvani. Yeah. You put that in, I'll show up the first 10 pages of Google. (laughs) There you go. Well, Rocky, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me today. It's been a lot of fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Did you learn something new about your relationship to money today? Maybe you have a friend who has some financial blocks or beliefs that are holding them back. Please share this podcast so they too can get off the roller coaster ride of financial fears and journey towards financial freedom. To learn how to have a healthy relationship with money, visit themoneynerve.com. That's nerve, not nerd. We'll be back next week with another perspective on money and the emotions that bind us. Blah, blah, blah.